Today's sponsor is Audible with an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more. Get a free audiobook with a 30-day trial at audible.com slash decode. Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher, powered by digital media. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. You may know me as a diehard fan of the 100% accurate 1995 movie Hackers, but in my spare time, I talk tech and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. You can subscribe to Recode Decode at iTunes.com slash Recode Decode. And while you're there, leave us a review. Today in the red chair is Sam Ismail, the screenwriter, producer, and director best known for creating the USA Network TV show and hit Mr. Robot. The show stars Rami Malek as a hacker and cyber vigilante who is recruited by the mysterious anarchist to take down the company known as E-Corp. Mr. Robot was nominated for six Emmys in 2016, and in September, it won two of them. Outstanding music composition for a series and outstanding lead actor for Rami Malek. Sam, welcome to Recode Decode. Thank you, Kara. So you're the brains behind this fantastic show. And the beauty. And the beauty. It's <laughs> amazing. You're not in front of the... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm shocked. So, you know, I've been told about it, I guess, from NBC people. said, so you're going to love this show when it comes out. This was way before it was happening. And they were getting ready to put it out there. Let me talk a little bit about the show first, about what its implications and why you decided to do it. But first, I kind of want to talk about your background because you're a geek. You're a total geek. Total geek. So why don't we talk about your background? You've been in Hollywood for how long? I mean, I've been in the Hollywood, like, well, technically, I don't know what being in Hollywood Mm -hmm. is because... I went to film school and mm-hmm. then came out here in about 2001. What film school did you go to? I went to NYU undergrad mm-hmm. and went to AFI for grad school. All right. So and that's, how, that's when I first came to Los Angeles. And mm-hmm. then um, I graduated in about 2004 mm-hmm. and struggled for a while. And then around 2008, I wrote a screenplay that got on this thing called The Blacklist. Mm-hmm. And that's when I got an agent and manager and started mm-hmm. getting jobs as a writer. Right. So what was the screenplay? What, 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 what? You know, I never wanted to be a writer. I went to film school to direct. And mm-hmm. I purely just, that was my goal to mm-hmm. to direct films. And when I graduated, I didn't really find any material that excited me. So, and there was this real frustration at the time. It's still kind of a frustration with the Hollywood films. They were uh, a lot of not original ideas and mm-hmm. a lot of uh, derivative stuff. So I, I, I wrote this script called Sequels, Remakes, and Adaptations. Because mm-hmm. it's sort of a... My way of opining the the Hollywood industry, so it was right. a little bit about a struggling writer, et cetera, and and I wrote it to direct it, and just as an independent film, mm-hmm. something to get you excited, right? And then, but the script kind of took off on its own, and it you know kind of made the rounds, and there and were, who is this guy? Yeah, exactly. And then, I mean, literally, the script opens with with this sort of vo kind of blasting Hollywood and giving them the middle finger. And, Which they love. Yeah, and that that was yes, the thing. That they was, love being insulted. And they were like, oh my God, we love you. And they brought me into all these meetings. And, you and, hate us. We love it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and then I kind of, the irony of it was is I kind of went in, I got I kind of got stuck into the system. Mm-hmm. And I, got, I started getting pushed to write like the new hangover Mm -hmm. and just these broad comedies because it was kind of a a satire so i was pigeonholed as like the broad comedy guy guy. yeah and um and it wasn't anything that i wanted to do and so i kind of struggled for a few years after that and then eventually and and the other thing was nobody wanted me to direct 
right. not even my own scripts. Right, they just like I, your I, clever writing style. Right, because I wrote another script a year after, also got on the blacklist, and I got jobs out of that, um, but no one actually... Yeah, I think there's this, still this weird thing that, you know, writers can't be directors, right, which, right. which is strange to me because I think writers, the great thing about writers is that they're, they're storytellers and right. that's what you really need in a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I think the misconception is directors just need to be very visual and um, it's all about style and like crazy right. angles and whatever and not about the storytelling. So, uh, anyway, so I kind of stopped writing, I stopped taking jobs and I decided to just write something that I know I'm going to direct, something small, so, you know, on a kind of more contained budget. And um, that's when I wrote my first indie feature, Comet, and um, got that and directed it, got that made. So I was like kind of announcing. So you had something. Right. So I was announcing to the industry, okay, here it is. I'm a director. You can't say I can't direct anymore. And then I was writing Mr. Robot while I was making it to sort of, as a, as a kind of follow-up feature. Right. And then I got into trouble while I was writing it because it went on way too long. Like I was like 90 pages and yeah. not even so it was a barely series, through the first act. So then I turned it into a TV show. So yeah. go back further than that. You you, you and I have talked before. Yeah. Um, you were interested in my book on AOL. Which yeah, was which I read back in when I was in NYU in the yeah. late 90s. And, and why? What, what? I I was fast. I mean, look. So as a I, kid, were you a, a Yeah, yeah, yeah. What did, explain that. So, you know, I had the Commodore 64. Oh, I would, wow. I would, you really are. I would pirate games mm-hmm. and, uh, you know off of that with my friends i mean it's weird like my, my fascination with tech was kind of combined with the fact that i was my parents would never pay for anything mm-hmm. kind of like got me more involved because i would have to find Hacking. clever ways yeah. exactly clever ways to get things for free so you had a commodore 64 I had a commodore 64 that's a lot yeah and then i reluctantly i, I had a mac and an apple but you it wasn't open and wasn't mm-hmm. much you could do past the things that apple wanted yeah. you to do so then i got a windows 3.1 which i thought was ugly i remember feeling like this is just not as good as the apple but mm-hmm. you know but you what? can't open the back of an apple. exactly and so i could upgrade it more and i got a modem pretty quickly <sighs> like yeah, in yeah. the early 90s and it was on prodigy but honestly i started just doing bbs's a mm-hmm. lot which I mean, for those that don't know, I'm bullet sure your board. crowd does know bullet, bullet board system. So uh, people would be running this on at their house right? and you would dial into their house and then just chat or post a message. Mm-hmm. And that was just cool. I mean, it, it was kind of not that, did, I guess. Did you do it at school or was it, this is just your hobby? No, this was just at home. So right. I race home after Where school. Where did you grow up? In New Jersey. New Jersey. Yeah, okay. yeah. So you're sitting there in a New Jersey suburb like, yeah. hacking away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then what happened was then the internet started coming around or we would start hearing about this kind of internet where you could kind of go anywhere and, um, but it wasn't open for commercial use, right? Right. You could, again, Prodigy was very closed network. Mm -hmm. Um, I think AOL had... was just starting. Yeah, but again, closed network at the time at least. So what I, what we had to do was we went to college, we went to the local college. I mean, I was like 14, so I was in high school, so... We go to the local college. This is how terrible the security system there was. You just say, I'm a student. They would give you an internet account. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they didn't think anything of it. Right. So we just got a free internet account. You had to just have the balls to walk up to the person behind right. the desk and say, yeah, this is me. And the, mm-hmm. they would ask you what your major was, something like that. And then you'd make up some <laughs> bullshit. And then they'd give you... They'd give you the and an what account. did you do on the internet then? There was very so F- then you it was FTP. I got I can't remember. So oh. you go, we would go on IRC a lot, mm-hmm. and there would be, um, I mean, I I, it was I a wonder, chat service. Yeah, chat yeah. servers, and, and the one that I um, 
I remember was Olahoff's. It was in the Netherlands. Oh. And it was a popular one. I mean, among well, Americans. Well, was. I'm trying to. Yeah. 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 And so. so that was the thing we did because then you got to talk to people from all over the world. And, it, you know, I was a nerd. So I, was, I didn't have a lot of friends in high school. The fact that you could just meet people and talk to them and not have to because you know, I'm socially awkward or whatever, mm-hmm. so not have to deal with the stress of right. me going up to somebody at a party, but just mm-hmm. now you're like kind of hot What did you talk behind. about things? I guess you just make friends. You mm-hmm. just talk about what do you do, where are you from, you know, that mm-hmm. the, the thing that you would do at a party, the thing that a normal person and would yeah, do at a party. It was so much easier to do when you're at a keyboard behind a screen. Right. And we were all sort of, I mean, we were all sort of enamored by the idea that, wow, you're in Minnesota and you're on this thing talking to me and mm-hmm. and I'm in New Jersey. I mean, it was crazy. And then and then we would, you know, if, we, if it got a little, if we got a little closer, we would snail mail each other uh-huh. pictures and yeah. letters. And that's when, you know, like things could get serious. And like right. my friends would make girlfriends over the, you know, and then wow. it was like, wow, okay, cool. Oh, wow. She sent you so pictures. Why did you go into tech? Why did you want to film? I tried. Yeah. I took Pascal. Mm-hmm. I was terrible. Mm-hmm. And then when I went to NYU, I minored in computer science. I just couldn't code. I just didn't have the patience for it. Right. I just I, I remember I could I could come up with ideas. Right for and programs. I did, I, and I did. I came up with an idea and I started an internet company. It's called Google. What, what was your <laughs> No, name? it was actually called Portal Vision. Mm-hmm. We raised like six million dollars. Um, this is oh, in so the, you- yeah. You were a startup guy. Yeah, I mm-hmm. was. And mm-hmm. um and um I was the president CTO, but I was mere I mean what like I did Portal Vision do? So the sounds idea like a, was sounds like a porn situation. <laughs> <laughs> no, although that that's where the real money uh happened. But no, um what happened was we you know, at this late nineties, mm-hmm. AOL was uh, if you obviously you yes, know this, yes, huge. They were the biggest, you know, company. I mean, I remember at the time everyone was like that's it. They've won. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no mm-hmm. way you could. I mean, sort of the. I think people felt the same way about Yahoo, but AOL was like the one, and they had just bought. Uh, well, no, this was before. Yeah, yeah. So th- they had just bought Netscape. Netscape, Netscape. Mm-hmm. and ne- and that was like okay, game over. They've they've taken over. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, Microsoft is probably the other one that MSN, you know, yeah, yeah, MSN and and, and and Internet Explorer, and so that you know that was the other kind of. Um, but AOL as a service provider was, uh, you know, it was unparalleled. Everybody just went on AOL because mm-hmm. of that client-based software. Right. And if you remember the other ISPs like Earthlink and, and Mindspring and AT- I know them all. You know, they had these it. shitty dialers mm-hmm. that was like kind of crappy and confusing mm-hmm. to work. Then you'd get in and then, you went, then you'd have to launch another client for your mail yep. and then set that up with your SMTP server. And, you know, I just yeah. saw people AOL's, struggling. AOL's marketing slogan was so easy to use no wonder it's number one right and it was was the thing about it was you logged in on the client software the email would pop up your buddy your instant messenger would pop up everything would be right there and then you can browse and it was like a one-stop shop so what i did so my idea was was to build that software called portal vision and then sell it, license it to Mindspring, to I see. Earthling, to AT&T. Yes, I know, or... The thing I obviously didn't anticipate, and this is why I'm probably bad at this, <laughs> is that you know broadband came about and that all kind of went away, including right. the unstoppable AOL. They right. kind of went down with that. Yeah. And you know, 2000 hit and there was like the big bust. And... So what'd you do with the $6 million? What happened to it? Well, we, we kind of, like lost every it. other startup, yeah, we lost them. I mean, we de- so, developed the software, we made it. So, you're done with Portal Vision, so yeah. now you're in school. You did so, this in school. 
so yeah, I did this kind of like in between NYU. I went to Dartmouth briefly, mm-hmm. and I didn't last there you very long. Like a Dartmouth no, yeah. and, then, <laughs> and then and then and then I quite douchey enough. <laughs> exactly. You don't play lacrosse. Sorry. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry, Dartmouth. That is people. a prerequisite. Yeah. yeah. So then I and then I was like, you know what? I'm going to go back to the my passion because my my first first passion, even as a kid at five, was you know it was movies, and mm-hmm. I mean um, it was something that. That I remember when I went into computers, I was like, "Well, this is the thing I'll do now to make a lot of money." But movies will be the the ultimate goal. So mm-hmm. when I couldn't even do that, I kind of you know went back and went to AFI, and that's when I went back to film school. Film school. Yeah. So we're going to talk a little bit about how you developed Mr. Robot. We talked about that before, but in a lot of ways, you're combining your love of tech with your love of movies or films or well, yeah. So like uh, like. It's funny because I know, I heard your uh, intro there and mm-hmm. the, you talk Hacker. about hackers, yeah, great film, which is one hundred percent accurate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, that's the thing. So being a tech nerd and being and being in the culture, my friends were also, mm-hmm. uh, you know, kind of obsessed with the same thing. You know, we would go see those movies. We'd see the net. Mm-hmm. The net. We'd see, oh, yeah, terrible, terrible. Sandra movie. Bullock, right? Yeah, Sandra yeah. Bullock. And there was a Ryan with a guy who was married to Reese Witherspoon. With that guy. He had one. Oh yeah, uh, the Bill Gates like character. There were a zillion of them. And the Pirates of Silicon, like mm-hmm. there, there were all these. It ju- they just never. When they got to the hacking, it was like they always defaulted to this weird thing about CGI ones and zeros flying at you, and mm-hmm. it, and it, it was just it was just silly. Mm-hmm. And I and even when the movies tried to be serious, like if you you know there was like Swordfish and Strange Days, it still kind of fell. It always fell flat. And to me, I always felt like. The culture was incredibly interesting. Why not just represent it authentically? So it was always in the back of my head. Hollywood is terrified of tech people. I, that it's bizarre. Yeah, I don't. I don't it. get they it. A, it. Everyone's got their high school persona, and that persona is a nerd who's just sitting there hacking away in the night. Well, look at what Donald Trump just did. On the stage, I know four hundred pound pound guy who now I, I feel sorry for his email accounts. Right I really now. want to send him a season one DVD. Yeah, just no, to be like they're yeah. not really four hundred pounds. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> all right, well, we're talking to Sam Ismail. He is the creator and director, everything of, of well, director, yeah, writer, executive producer, the man in charge of Mister Robot. And when we get back, we're going to talk about Mister Robot and its very dark depiction of cyberspace. Today's show is brought to you by Audible, which has an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more. And you can listen to all of that wherever you are thanks to Audible's free apps for iOS, Android, and Amazon devices. It's not a streaming or rental service. With Audible, you own the books. Sam, what book should I listen to next? I mean, you know, there's an interesting book that just came out that I heard was really good. It's it's called Mr. Robot, Red Wheelbarrow, <laughs> written by me and uh, one of my uh, writers, uh, Courtney Linney. But it actually is going to, it's not just like a marketing book about the making of the show. It's like an expanded storyline that was, uh, oh, you know, cool. that actually happened in between the first and second season. Oh, Another great. book I would recommend is this book called Son of Hamas. A really interesting book about the son of Hamas and his relationship with the Shin Bet Oh. Check that out. I will. When you become an Audible member, you get a free book every month plus a 30% discount on all regularly priced audiobooks. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook of your choice and a free 30-day trial membership. Just go to audible.com slash decode, download a title free, and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audible.com slash D-E-C-O-D-E. That's audible.com slash decode and get started today. FreshBooks is a super simple cloud accounting software that's helping over 5 million small businesses conquer their administrative and paperwork in less time with way less stress. 
It only takes 30 seconds to create and send a polished, professional-looking invoice. And customers who accept online payments with FreshBooks get paid three days faster on average. FreshBooks can even show you whether or not a client has looked at an invoice you've emailed. They also track your expenses, cash flow, and the time you're spending on each project. See how FreshBooks' thoughtful, intuitive design can make a huge difference in how you deal with your day-to-day paperwork. To get a free 30-day trial, go to freshbooks.com slash recode and enter recode decode in the how you heard about us section. That's freshbooks.com slash recode to start your 30-day free trial. We're here with Sam Ismail. What is that? It's Egyptian. Egyptian. I love that name. It's fantastic. Do people call you Esmail? Yeah, well, that, that's actually how Sam I pronounce it. Oh, yeah. How do and you then, pronounce uh, it? Sam S. Mail. S. Mail. Okay. Like, a, like, yeah, S <laughs> and then the mail. I'm just teasing you. <laughs> um, so the depiction of, how, how did it get to the screen? You, you had written too much and you yeah. decided to turn it into a TV yeah. show. How did it get to the screen? Because it's very dark and it's very, yeah, it's fantastically dark in that, in that way. But, you know, now TV shows obviously are the place where all this incredible creativity is right. going on. Talk to me about how that well, happened. Well, it, it's weird because it, it was all fortuitous. I didn't know that it was going to be a TV show. Again, like I re- re- really wrote it as, as a follow-up feature. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, when it went really long, I thought I was in a lot of trouble. I didn't know how to pare it down to, you know, a 120-page script. And at the time, my manager, uh, he works at a non- company called Anonymous Content. Sure. Um, and they were, they had just released True Detective. Mm-hmm. And... I loved it. I, th- I looked at it. I was like, wow, this is really cinematic. You know, you can really do... Because to me, like, again, directing was my first and sure. foremost goal. So to me, like, that was really a important. A movie-like television show. Exactly. <laughs> so um, so I was like, why not? Let's let's change this over. So I, so I had 90 pages. I literally lopped off the last 30. It was a 60-page pilot. Found a, found a good ending to it. And then we took we went to the process of taking it out to all the different networks and, you know, at the time, USA was kind of going through a reinvention process. Right. I mean, yeah, honestly, I like, you know, if, if it wasn't for them and if it wasn't for this weird timing where they really needed something right. the to... Era, re- the era of Netflix, making, like, doing House of Cards, really getting noticed for these very... Yeah. And, you know, USA is sort of like, we want to we get into that game. Mm-hmm. And um, I had this crazy script... And it was just kind of, you know, that fortuitous... What was the impetus for you when you were writing it? What were we trying to do there? Well, there were, there were three things, right? Because initially it was like, I just need to write something about the hacker culture right. and tech culture that I didn't think was being represented. And then, so that that was kind of like in the back of my head for years. You know, this is since like I was 14 and mm-hmm. I wanted to be... And I was like, oh, that it will be a great movie. And I, mm-hmm. I, I you know, I, I don't know what it is yet, but I'm going to come up with the idea. And then I said, because I always start with characters. So I started mm-hmm. thinking about the character of Elliot. And then 2008 happened, the financial crisis. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, it's got to be. And, you know, Anonymous had just, the, the yep. group, that had just come out and Lol Sack. And so I, I was like, okay, so this is like kind of the, this is the sort of group that Elliot might be involved in or might partake in. And, uh, and then the 2008 financial crisis happened. I was like, okay, this is awesome. It's going to be an anti-capitalist, anti-establishment character who's like angry and who mm-hmm. wants to take down the system. And then I kind of like cooled off a little bit because I was like, that's, you know, who wants to hear a guy rant about that mm-hmm. for hours and hours? I thought that would get a little grating. There wasn't a humanity to it. So I kind of went away from that. Um, it stayed in there, but it was like something that it, the character wasn't com- kind of complete yet. And then the Arab Spring happened. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm Egyptian, so um, I have a lot of family out there, a lot of cousins. And I went there 
about nine months after wow. after the yeah the revolution happened and to just talk to my cousins who are young who are online who are part of that whole mm-hmm. movement um using technology and honestly just channeling that anger that they had against their country against the against the way so- their society was being run in a really positive way that was the missing piece that was the right. thing that really moved it's not me. all nihilistic exactly right. that there's this even though ang- anger tends to be this negative you know have this negative connotation there can be a positive uh, mm-hmm. part of mm-hmm. it so um that's when i sat down and i was like okay i figured it out this is so this you is weren't trying to depict sort of uh, you know it, it does have that it's filmed darkly it's got a lot of darkness around the edge not lots and lots of tv shows are doing this now but right. but and actually after yours which is kind of interesting i guess house of cards same thing you're, you're saying it's a hopeful note not a no, yeah not a i non- mean i i don't want to the show isn't about nihilism i mm-hmm. don't actually don't find that that interesting mm-hmm. um i think that can be an aspect of it mm-hmm. um that there can be a like from hopelessness though it's that you know that old you know cliched quote you know it's darkest before you mm-hmm. know the dawn mm-hmm. i think i think we can get to that point and i think a lot of people can feel that sometimes especially now this current election yeah. you can feel like wow we're really kind of let you know letting go here that this is this is really the darkest our society has ever been mm-hmm. but for me the interesting part is well what are you going to do about it right and here's a guy who's actively trying to trying to make so a difference it's interesting because a lot of things you talk about then became something that was real encryption right. spying right hacking it's, right. it's really gotten we all knew it was there but now it's sort of ever yeah. present i don't know yeah it's not as if we're predicting anything i think what it we're seems do- like it <laughs> i know i know it does but i think it's i honestly i think it's there it's just not talked about mm-hmm. I, I, I even to this day with the encryption debate i don't know if people completely get mm-hmm. you know what the consequences of that is right, you know right. the fact that the fbi wants a backdoor to everything that's mm-hmm. what is you know are we really having a real public conversation about that i don't know if we're quite there yet but i love the fact that the show to some degree is kind of sparking that conversation and it's also topical it really is yeah. i mean life i mean the sony hack the, the, the russians hack. now the democratic national committee hack, yeah. wikileaks i mean it's a lot of power mm-hmm. that these hackers have and i think honestly in a really kind of morbid way a lot of those news events help kind of you know realize that these you know pe- people used to think guys on keyboards or gr- girls on keyboards well what what are the stakes there there really isn't that's not exciting mm-hmm. well with these news events you can see the stakes mm-hmm. the, these people can influence elections yeah. take down banks you know take down sony take down a huge c- corporation mm-hmm. um i think they only show that they're petty people <laughs> right that's that what we got out of that right <laughs> that's true petty people and don't we th- thought they were, and now we know they right. are. Same what, thing with the DNC. It's what's be- weird is that the hacks isn't about them taking down the system, right? No. Like literally shutting... Exposing. Up. It's exposing, you know, human flaws. Although, human- you know, you could say, who knows if there have you know the banking crisis i always think whenever i see something happen like oh an airplane i'm like oh right. that was a hacker right. I, I think everything is a hacker at this right. point and i think i might be right you know in it some could way potentially yeah so yeah. i think one of the things is there's one thing of exposing people's emails or what julian assange is doing at wikileaks that's one thing that's just embarrassing people essentially right. with their own language the other part is is systems the idea of ruining systems either infrastructure or banking or right. anything that has real implications and i yeah. think that's where you're delving actually well it's it's interesting it's because the the whole great thing about the hacker mentality the mm-hmm. whole and something that i don't think movies un- completely understood it's 
it's finding the flaw. And whether that's the flaw in the person, mm-hmm. finding embarrassing emails, or that's the flaw in the system, which is designed by a person. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole great thing. All this stuff that has our planes running and mm-hmm. traffic lights going was designed by a human who by very you know by their very nature can make mistakes right and that's what hackers are trying to exploit yeah absolutely we're going to talk about that in the next section because ai changes that entire right because now that's that system's developed by systems right exactly so let's but let's talk about the show where do you go with it from there when you have this sort of free-floating anger this paranoia there's also elements of you know greed and anarchy where do you go from there well so so remember that I initially thought of it as a feature. So when I did, when I was sitting down to write it as a feature, I did have an end goal in mind. And honestly, the 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 movie, you know, I always say the movie or the show at this point is it's not about hacking; it's about hackers. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, this is going to be about Elliot's emotional journey. Mm-hmm. And so we we started him at a, at a certain place, and and the ending will be about that kind of character arc that mm-hmm. that where Elliot's going to kind of grow and change and. Um, so that's sort of the end goal without spoiling too okay. much. Okay. All right. But does he have to be improved on? I mean, that's the one thing. I mean, look at Breaking Bad. That didn't end so right. well. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's not an improved. It's I wouldn't use that word. I'd say change. Hollywood likes to do the improved. You know what I mean? Yeah. The moment of like, That's ah. not that interesting. Yeah. No, not I at think, all. It, but I do think he should change and, mm-hmm. it, and he will. Yeah. So talk about that actor because he seems to embody it perfectly. Rami? Yeah. Yeah, I he's mean, he's not a four hundred pound geek. In no, him. he's not. He's he's actually what a very an idiotic thing to say. <laughs> really? Yeah. I mean, just a really old fashioned way of thinking. But well, that's what a bully would think. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I, feel, I do feel bad for his emails. Soon, <laughs> soon we will know everything we want to know about Donald Trump. But go ahead. Is that true? No, I just think you don't say something like that without engendering some sort of retaliation. You, you, oh. It seems like it. It seems like they will. Interesting. Like, why yeah. Yeah. They? No. No. They that's were pretty true. pissed in a lot of the message boards and stuff yeah i would imagine so mm-hmm. i mean what a yeah anyway so rami rami so here's the thing we auditioned potential i i would say over 100 guys mm-hmm. they, and I, I thought we were in real trouble i actually was contemplating just not doing the show because we weren't finding the right guy and what was the point of sort of com- and by the way these actors were the guy the guys that were coming in were great i mean um really good actors that came in they had an interesting take but none of it felt right and um i thought we were kind of done um and then rami came in and he totally transformed the character and, how and, so what was it what was it about well, he him? added the the warmth the mm-hmm. thing that i kept fearing about the whole like you know look a guy who's gonna rant and rave about society and how it needs to change and that's that could easily and who has mental illness too and has mental illness and is a drug addict mm-hmm. um there are all these things to not like about this person and not want to spend time with this person um more than anything and it really takes a really precise take on that to have add that warmth to add that wait a minute he's in a lot he's this is all happening because he's in a lot of pain mm-hmm. and there's a forgiveness that you can have with, right. as an audience member uh, when someone kind of performs it like that. But that is such a fine uh, yeah, target to hit. he does hit. it beautifully. And he just, not only does he hit it, he's not he's not trying. He's It's effortless. Mm-hmm. And when I saw that, I was like, well, wait a minute. Now, not only can he do this, but I can, I can add 
things, layers and complexities to it and push him in moral boundaries and he's going to be able to pull it off because right. he's got that center. And the other characters, the female characters, for example? I mean, you know, look, I, I, I got really lucky. You know, I talked to a lot of showrunners because I'd never mm-hmm. done TV before. So I got a lot of advice and, you know, the, you know, a lot of from from the stories I hear, you know, it's it's tough doing a show. You, you're mm-hmm. working with these actors for years um, to to have that, you know, the right chemistry and mm-hmm. to have everyone like come in with a good attitude every season, year in, right. year out. Um, and I'm, I've only done two seasons. And um, but I got to say, my cast is incredible. And and Portia Doubleday, Carly Chaikin. Um, Stephanie Cornelison, I mean, these, and, and now Grace Gummer, uh, you know, came on in the second season, just brilliant, brilliant actresses and all doing very different things. Right. And none of them really playing a love interest, Mm -hmm. which is kind of, I I didn't think about it at the time, but it's kind of unusual, uh, for, uh, female protagonist to or you right. know to not have I that. think Christian Slater's is love interest. And Chris, well there you go. Yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> In I mean a different way. god Christian Slater yeah. amazing. Yeah what was it how did you pick well, him? Well so as he a kid he had such an unusual career. Right? Yeah well as oh, a he was the big hit right. I mean pump up the volume. Heathers. I mean Heathers I love mm-hmm. true romance I mean you know the, but pump up the volume huh. he was a hacker. Mm-hmm. He was kind yeah. of a hacker. He was a is hacking the the radio waves and um and that spirit that revel you know I I always tell him like because I didn't write this with him in mind but subconsciously I must have because that character in in Pump Up the Volume and that character in Heather's is the Mister Robot character right, I mean right. whether I want to admit it or not it's like subconsciously it was there it's How that did he come on How did you get him Well on? so um so we were kind of doing the whole auditioning process for the Mister Robot and. My casting director, Susie Ferris, who's amazing, she um, she kept giving me lists of names. And there were these, you know, there were the kind of the people with the bigger names and the people with not so big names. And, you know, and Christian was always on the list of the people with the big names. And I was like, you know, and I saw Christian's name and it kept coming up. And I was like, oh, this guy, wait a minute. He's perfect. Yeah. And I got, so then I was like, let's sit down with him. Let's talk to him. And I talked to him. And, and then, and this is how I knew he, the one of the first questions he asked, mm-hmm. and this is he just read the pilot. He didn't mm-hmm. know anything else about the show. He knew the secret of Mr. Robot right away. Uh-huh. And he that was one of the first questions he asked me. And I was like, well, if I answer it now, he's got to be my guy. So I answered it. I was like, now that I've answered, you are my Mr. Robot. Because you can't, you can't be walking around knowing the big secret. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're talking to Sam Ismail. Is that right? Ismail. 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 Yeah. Ismail. Like, like the letter S. Ismail. Ismail. Yeah. Um, who is the creator and director and writer for Mr. Robot. And when we get back, we're going to talk about how tech has impacted entertainment. Sam is a hacker himself, I guess. And a, really and a bad tech, and, and a bad hacker. <laughs> uh, and when we get back, we'll talk about that and more. Finding great new wine is tough. Luckily, there's Wink, which works directly with winemakers and growers from all over the world to create delicious wine and deliver it right to your door. These aren't just random bottles. They deliver wine that you'll love based on the results of their palate quiz. You can rate the wine you receive, which means the recommendations get better every week. Wink's 100% satisfaction guarantee means if you don't like a bottle they send you, they'll replace it with a bottle you'll love. No questions asked. Sign up for Wink right now and gain immediate insider access to the best fine wine from all over the world. Wink is offering my listeners $20 off right now when you go to trywink.com decode. They'll even cover shipping. Think about that. You'll get fine wine personalized to your palate, delivered right to your door. 
Try Wink and get $20 off plus complimentary shipping right now when you go to trywink.com slash decode. That's trywink.com slash decode. I'd also like to tell you about Recode Media with Peter Kafka. Peter, who did you talk to this week? Hello, Kara. How are you? Um, let me tell you about who I just talked to. It's Keith Richmond. He's sitting right here. He runs Defy Media, which used to be Break Media. It's a giant video company that makes things like Smosh that your kids listen to. Did I get it right? Keith? You did. Hey, Kara. What was the most exciting thing about our conversation? The boob talk, right? Janet Jackson <laughs> boob talk. I think that was. I uh, talked about boobs and home. I think land. learning the guaranteed formula for success with distributing content online. Where else can you hear that? But that's behind the paywall. Yeah. There's still cool stuff in the free stuff as well. Yeah. You'll like it. Listen in. Thanks, Kara. You can find Recode Media on iTunes, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're here with Sam Esmal, the creator of Mr. Robot, which is a television show about hackers, I guess. That's sort of like the simplest way to put it. Right. But it's about society and how we're changing, and it uses tech as the vehicle right. to do that. Can you talk a little bit about how you look at tech and how Hollywood looks at tech? Because it's always been such a fraught relationship. Um, and it, you're right, depictions have been bad. Like, it's yours and then Silicon Valley, which is a mock documentary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't... Hollywood, I think they don't understand it and they don't think that there's any drama in it. Mm -hmm. I mean, because I, I remember being told a lot, well, it's not going to be exciting watching people on keyboards. Type, right, yeah. Yeah, it's just not. It's never going to be interesting and that's why we have to force all this other stuff I mean, I haven't seen Snowden, but I saw the trailer. I just saw it this weekend. Well, what did you think? It's a lot of typing. No, it's good. It's beautiful. Is He's it? a beautiful movie. Oh, He's is it? He's a great okay, filmmaker great. still. Because I love Oliver Stone. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, I, it's very character driven. I, so I get worried sometimes because mm -hmm. I don't, I don't want them to go down that road of like we'll just gloss over. Because mm -hmm. again, hacking is you know a lot more psychological than that. And mm -hmm. if they could get over their kind of hump of, of it's too obtuse and audiences won't understand it unless we do this weird graphical thing or else, or else it's just evil right right i mean that's i was watching thing. westworld and it's again technology yeah yeah although it's humanity is the problem in that particular series. right but go ahead yeah so i mean so to me like i i feel like obviously as a sort of younger writer directors come up and they kind of understand it and, and they want to represent it more authentically, um, you know, hopefully that mindset will change in Hollywood because I think, you know, in terms of just the old-fashioned thing, you know, that we've talked about the Donald Trump, mm -hmm. those just rules don't apply anymore. There aren't 400-pound right. guys who are just, like, you know, devilishly sitting behind a keyboard wanting to change the traffic lights. You, you know, know, I think a lot of it came from the original Matthew Broderick movie, War Games. War Games. You know what I mean? That really had an impact on people of how... The hacking culture. It, it's an interesting... To me, that was the biggest success, I guess. Yeah. Um, well, sneakers. Sneakers. Although, I guess I don't know if sneakers is, But that's a great movie. It is a great movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but one of the things that's important to me is that technology is also a situation that's ruining their business. Like, really ruining their... Really, has at the moment, the Rubicon has been crossed. People are streaming on phones. They're... Uh, Google and uh, Amazon and Netflix are sort of disrupting well, their business incredibly. So there's a real fear of the technology. And too. and that the, it's the fear that's going to kill them, not the technology. I mean, mm -hmm. look at Netflix. They've mm -hmm. pounced on that. They've mm -hmm. taken that as an opportunity to say, well, if no one else wants to embrace the technology, if no one else wants to say, hey, no, this isn't something to be scared of, but an opportunity to expand and to offer mm -hmm. entertainment in a way that wasn't offered before, 
um, then we'll do it. And they're doing it really well. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's the thing. It's not about, because I mean, even the way films are made right now, they're they're talked about as universes, franchises, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. it's not you know it's not just about one movie anymore. It's about how many movies can you make off that one movie, and how many toys can you make, and how many video games, and uh, you know it's like now this whole kind of universe. See, to me, it's still an antiquated way of thinking because you know when you I watch agree. all move, I, I think I think I watched Mr. Robot on my phone the right. whole time. Like, how do you, as a creator, how do you think about that? Are, are there other creators like you? You're obviously illuminated about technology but do they understand what's what's happening when google becomes the studio when facebook becomes critically important to distribution of entertainment i don't know if they do and and this is the worry worrisome part for example we're doing you know like i just uh advertised a few minutes (laughs) ago we're doing a book but the book is not a marketing opportunity Mm -hmm. for the show the Mm -hmm. book is its own standalone thing and it's an interactive thing it's Mm -hmm. not just a book that you read but there's layers to a little bit like uh, that jj abrams book s so it's it's that's a thing and then we've got we had a mobile game that we released which is awesome and that Mm -hmm. that is a story so it's not just a game that you play and you know and again just another marketing marketing fodder for the show it's its own story and every and all these little pieces you can sort of embrace and that's sort of the universe building that's the world building of the future that's why when if google becomes a studio or facebook becomes a studio oh we also did a vr film Mm mm-hmm which is also another story that's kind of like in between a couple that episodes. Facebook and Google. Yeah, in that case. So that that's when you when you set out to tell a story, you are not telling a, just one linear story from beginning right, exactly. to end as a TV show or a movie. You are now embracing all the different avenues people can consume storytelling. Is the entertainment industry intelligent enough to embrace this in that way? I mean, they do it in pieces, but it seems so grudging. It's still well, see, after the, all, what, I keep saying, I come down here and they're like, well, television is bigger than ever. I go, nobody's watching television. Right. It's like they're watching things on screens. Right. You know what I mean? Or they don't, well, it's just, a, it's like almost they wish it was done, but it's, it's not. It's weird. It's the the marketing. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they look at all that other stuff as marketing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll do like a little like VR thing mm-hmm. and it'll just be like, you can walk around Mars and that'll mm-hmm. be the, that'll get them to watch the Martian or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think that's where it needs to evolve. Where they're like, "Wait a minute, this isn't just marketing. This is this, this is, is just thing. new form. This is what what we're doing, you know." Um, and it all has to make sense. And it all start starts from the beginning and starts from the creator, or the writer, or director, or whoever. Mm-hmm. Um, the minute it starts just kind of being pushed away, and it's like, "No, we still got to like service the one big thing." That's going to take a lot of time, and it'll just be the economics of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, eventually, someone's going to come up with a big movie or whatever it is a big thing a big universe Mm -hmm. and they're going to start it from the beginning and they're going to utilize every faction every screen Mm -hmm. um and it's going to be an entire experience and it's going to kind of prove the model can you imagine making a full vr experience and that's the thing could you imagine making yeah whatever i don't even want to call it a show i don't know what to call it i don't know what to call it either vr yeah um yeah i absolutely would but i don't think that's an answer either i don't I don't. Yeah, you don't want the, the idea is is that you're connecting all of these things mm-hmm. into one experience, into mm-hmm. one story, mm-hmm. one storytelling universe, if you want to call it that. Um, and I'm not just talking about sequels and prequels and right. whatever. <laughs> I'm talking about legitimately saying no. We're you know you will deepen your experience of the characters of the world by going into these other places. Do you like the concept of dumping the whole season? 
yes, once. I love it. Yeah. Um, I love that. I love. But Aaron, you don't do that. You I don't do that. Yeah. I, you know, I, I love. Wish the, you could. Because someone the other day I was here with arguing against it. We're going to go back to the thing. I'm like, well, you can't decide this on the behalf of. Right. Because they were talking about the idea that there's just, I think it was James Corden that there's one, like nobody can talk about the Game of Thrones because everyone's at a different point and watching it in our watching cycle. Now right. that does come out every week, but some people save them and stuff like that. So there's no commonality. Right. Well, look, the thing about weekly releases, like like mm-hmm. what we're doing, I love the community aspect of it. I remember when I used to watch Lost, and mm-hmm. Lost, you know, was a show that, and this is this is what I think true interactive entertainment is. I watch an episode of Lost. After Lost, I call my. I'm actually watching it with a few friends. We're arguing mm-hmm. two hours after the episode aired about what everything meant. Mm-hmm. Then I'm going online, going on the message board, and interacting with other people there about their theories and my theories. And then I see an e- Easter egg. Someone found an Easter egg about Lost, and then that takes me to a book. And you just fall down this rabbit hole, and mm-hmm. it's fun, and it's crazy, and mm-hmm. it's awesome. If you dump it all, it everybody's sort of out of sync, like you said. Right you don't really quite have that community experience. So there are advantages either way. What do you like about the dub? You said you liked it. I like it because it is more film. I mean, one of the things... Film-like. Because one of the things that I don't love about TV, and I I wasn't a huge Mm -hmm. TV watcher growing up, Mm -hmm. I don't love the repetition. And Mm -hmm. that's sort of the model. The repetition house. Meaning most procedurals, right? Mm -hmm. There's a case of the week. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, there's a formula to the show. There's a pattern to the show, right? So there's whatever, the murder at the opening, the cold open, and then mm-hmm. you, you got you, your two characters, they come in. They, right. And by the end of the Lenny episode. Lenny Briscoe always makes a joke about the murder. There you go. And then, I was watching Law and Order last night. There you go. And then by the end of the episode, they solve the case or they don't solve the case or whatever it is, there's the, the, the solution. And then rinse, repeat, we do that next week. Now, I don't, I'm not putting a judgment on it. Personally, it's not my thing. Obviously, they have their audience and, it's, mm-hmm. and, it's, and it works. But for me, a film, you, you don't do that with a film, right? There's mm-hmm. a, one story. There's a singular story. You're sticking to that singular vision the entire time. And if you can do that long form across multiple episodes, multiple seasons, for me, I think there's something a lot more fascinating, a lot more interesting yeah, about yeah. that. Do you imagine that you will keep doing the show like season after season? What what happens? Because it's changed. Pe- seasons have changed. There's just like discrete works and then it ends kind of thing. What do you imagine this going? Mr. Well, I mean, I mean, I mean, in my head, I've planned it to be about four or five seasons. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to go any more than and that. And why is that? Because it used to be 10 seasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's, again, that goes back to that model of let's just keep it going. I mean, there's right. also the type of TV where it's not about one singular story mm-hmm. so the idea is like you a friends yeah like a friends or like any sort of family drama actually mm-hmm. modern family so what you do is you set up this dynamic and it's and like it life going, yeah. and it keeps going and going and you're with the characters and it's not really about the story it's just about yeah, the, these people that and and what they're this going week, through a watermelon mishap <laughs> <laughs> exactly and that, that, you know, again, that for me, that's just not for me. Yeah. For me, it's like I, I kind of want to be taken on a ride and then there's a, there's a point. There's a whole, you know, there's a whole end to all of this. Weird. I want to finish up with two more things. One about your own tech usage kind of thing. But yeah. also, where do you imagine you'll be in 10, where Hollywood will be in 10? I know it's kind of a crazy... Well, like, I, think it, I think like you said, I don't, you know, I wish I knew more on the business side, but if these tech companies... To see what Netflix has done, if these tech companies like Google, Apple, which are oh, Apple, which by the way, non-creative in a lot of ways, but right, ahead. yeah, but Apple, by the way, is kind of creative. Yeah. So, 
and Facebook, if these guys decided to go into media, because the one thing I will say that Amazon, and I think Amazon did this really smart, because mm-hmm. I, I didn't get it. I, you know, I, I have Amazon mm-hmm. uh, Prime, but I didn't get why Amazon was doing it. I mean, and like, now there's, you get it. And now I get it. You know why? Because now I, while I'm watching my videos, I'm like, you know, I really need more toothpaste. And mm-hmm. I, I'd never done that before. Yeah. And then I just started buying. Oh, and an Echo would be nice. And then an Echo. And then I got an Echo. Mm-hmm. And it, honestly, that's what it is. It's entertainment is sort of the Trojan horse to everything else yep. because that's what, you know. Although what, I do think he likes making the entertainment. I, I, I do too. Another thing. And you should like it. Yeah. But, uh, otherwise, you, it could it could look like, you know, uh, honestly, like a disingenuous way of like mm-hmm. hooking people. But, but like, because I Hollywood's th- never done that. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I honestly, like w- the thing that works for Netflix and Amazon Prime mm-hmm. is its quality. I mean, right. these aren't just, shitty shows these yeah. are you know these and, are great shows it must be great for a creator like you to be i mean to have these outlets it must well, be fantastic you're not well what's great prisoners. about it is because there's no pressure to like for, for example in the hollywood right in, in the film industry it's the pressure is you got to make you got to make a hundred million dollars across the world and so your your movie has to be so vanilla enough mm-hmm. That it got, it's got to hit in China and hit in Indiana right. and hit in Japan. Right. You know, and with Amazon and with Netflix and now with the, now with the really the, all television networks, they just want something really fascinating and interesting. They don't really yeah. care about that. And to stuff. Force them into being interesting. Yeah. Um, last questions. What do you use in tech now? What do you What do you think is exciting? What would you like to be invented? I mean, I I don't love any social media app. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really don't. I don't. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have them all because mm-hmm. I I create an account on there. Any new shiny mm-hmm. object that comes mm-hmm. out. But I'm not, I'm not a fan. I'm not really a fan. I kind of like Twitter because I can read news. Mm-hmm. I wish there was a better RSS reader because mm-hmm. I think there isn't really a great no. news reading app right now. Yeah, but I'm kind of, kind of disillusioned. What about devices? I'm, I'm, I'm Android all day. Android all day. Yeah, I, I, and I use Apple. I, ha- I do have, uh, you know, I do have Apple products. And but. then self-driving cars, these new foods they're making, because now it's moving into some very serious. I mean, self-driving cars. You know, I know there's a big fear about that. But I gotta say, I trust I trust that a little bit more than humans. Yeah, I mean, look, you we should. we haven't been very good yeah. about driving cars. And then my last question: We I interviewed Elon Musk earlier this year at our Code Conference, and he talked about a lot of things. He talked about going to Mars. He talked about his cars. Yeah. He talked about everything. But then we moved into the idea of artificial intelligence and yeah. whether we're all in a big game. He believes we're this is all fake simulation. Simulation. But he was talking about the idea of artificial intelligence and that the best case scenario, given your stories about the power of technology is if we're all going to end up as, you know, in the most benign sense, as house cats to computers, and they will take our places. And the only way we can battle is by attaching neural networks to our own brains. Well, this is the whole singularity mm-hmm. thing, right? Yeah. Will mm-hmm. they? Will machines evolve faster than us? Yes. And honestly, like, you can't avoid saying yes to that question because what? why wouldn't they? I mean, mm-hmm. they would just have much more power, much more processing power. And so it'll come down to that spiritual question, and it, it's a tough one. Is there something different about us that a machine won't have? Is is there that soul that a machine might not, you know, they might have the faster brain, and are but are we just neurons and electrical mm-hmm. impulses, or is there something more to us than that? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know the answer to that. Because I think your show is about humanity. It's not about well, tech at it, all. Exactly right. And, that, and that's sort of the, I think we try to, in a weird way, we try and fight against our humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't see my friends anymore. I I don't even call them anymore. I text them. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've d- devolved our communication. I mean, like I I I remember when texting came out and it was 
so popular. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait a minute. We used to call each other on the phone. We could hear each other and mm-hmm. we would get so much more information out of that. But no, we'd rather just text and because of our own whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know what it is. Yeah. Is it uh is it just easier or more efficient or or too neurotic to get on the phone? I, yeah. I, I don't know. Well these tools really can take places of lots of stuff. Uh, and they're very pleasing. Yeah. You know. But they're kind of dehumanizing and they or they can be very dehumanizing. But, you know, you talked about at the beginning talking to people in Minnesota or across the globe. You know, Correct. But then but then what happens when it takes in the place of actually going to see that person? I mean, Facebook right now um, I, I have friends who have families all across the country. They they have grandparents, they have aunts and uncles, mm-hmm. and they're having kids and fam- and because they see them in their feed, that's good enough. Mm-hmm. Well, so you're not going to see each other. You're not going to interact. You're not going to go on those mm-hmm. family trips together. You're not going to actually be. Well, I can see that. You know, I can see them growing up on the feed. Right. That that's when it becomes a little scary. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Are you pro technology or anti technology? I'm I'm very pro technology. I think I'm pro human too. So mm-hmm. I want us to be catching like I don't I you know technology makes things better, but we just have to understand that there are flaws in it, just like in any system, yep. and we just have to make sure that we can we can exploit those flaws and perfect it, and not actually be a slave to it. You know. Anyway, Sam, thank you so thank much. You. Sam Esmal, the creator of Mr. Robot, and I can't wait to see what you do next. You're going to do a rom-com, right? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> That's my trajectory. And at the end, the girl gets to get married there and have a go. dress. Yes. That would be great. I've never seen that from Hollywood never. before. <laughs> anyway, Sam, it was great talking to you. Thanks for coming awesome. by. If you enjoyed this interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. Be the first to listen to future episodes or catch up on previous episodes, including some really fantastic interviews I've done with the Late Late Show host, James Gordon, political consultant Bradley Tusk, and investor Aileen Lee, just to name a few. All those interviews and more are at recode.net slash decode. Now that you're done with this, why not try some of our other podcasts? Recode Media with Peter Kafka comes out every Thursday. On Fridays, I host Too Embarrassed to Ask along with Lauren Good of The Verge. And on Recode Replay, you can find the audio for our events like The Code Conference, Peter Kafka's Code Media, and Jason Del Rey's Code Commerce. Thanks for listening. Thanks also to Digital Media, which distributes this show. This has been another episode of Recode Decode. Remember to subscribe to the show and leave us a review at iTunes.com slash Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Monday with another great guest. Tune in then.